shouts to our sponsor, Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. For a first deposit match up to $100, use code COMBO. That's right, use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. If you'd like to watch this episode in its entirety, Combo's Court episodes are now available on the NBA Report YouTube channel. I'll leave a link in the description for that as well. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Alex Spears, down to dunk, athletic NBA show. Welcome back to the show, man. It's been a while. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's been a fun uh, couple weeks in Thunderland. A lot of fun times in Thunderland. You know what else is fun? You know how we have to start out this show with beef. Is there beef between SGA and Ant Edwards? We've seen Ant Edwards say, you can't touch (laughs) SGA, right? They're just going to call foul. We've seen SGA... He's more the type of guy. He doesn't really talk a lot. He expresses himself through fashion, through social media. That's right. Yeah. What do you think about it? Is, is there beef there? Is there some beef? I I like his approach to beef because there's always like plausible deniability. He he can always just say, "Oh, that wasn't about Ant, or that wasn't about uh, uh passive, Steph." You know, pass, passive aggressive. It is it is a little passive aggressive. And if he was doing it like to his own teammates, uh, like LeBron used to do back in the day, uh, it probably would bother me a, a bit more. But it kind of uh, helps me to avoid those conversations on Twitter, like getting into uh, petty arguments with fans of other team. So I, I don't, I don't mind it. And he, his Instagram captions, very good. He's very good at it. So he is. Yeah, I'm all for yeah. it. <laughs> do you, do you see that? Like, because these guys are going to be MVPs for years to come. MVP candidates, I shall say, for years to come. I think these right. two guys, when it comes to Ant, SGA, Luke will obviously be in the mix. Jokic, Embiid, but those two guys are going to definitely be in the mix. Do you think this type of rivalry, this type of beef, if you will, is good? I hope so. I, I mean, honestly, after these last, I mean, last year was fun, but those previous two years where, you know, we were coming out of like the KD Russ era, everything was amazing. Um, even in the Russ era that didn't turn out well, we still had, you know, other all-stars like Paul George, Carmelo Anthony. And then we had these two down years and you just kind of forget what it's like to be a real basketball fan. So just to have a rivalry even even if it's kind of brand new and and maybe even a little made up and there's not really a good justification for it yet, uh, it's just fun. It's fun to be back in the mix, to actually be able to pretend at least for right now to have rivalries. I do think it'll take a, like a playoff series against them to really crank it up to the next level. Um, but yeah, I definitely see them. And when Memphis gets healthy, I think they're going to be another team that could potentially be a rival just because they were a rival back in the day. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, I mean, you say back in the mix, but even last year I had Derek Parker on, and we were talking about what OKC could do to turn the corner. Did the OKC fans did the OKC fans see this before everybody else? Um, I, I mean, some did, but you never know with your own fan base. Like, if you're being too, you know, biased to rose-colored glasses. I mean, there were definitely Thunder fans before this season pro- projecting them for 50 wins. Um, but I think you know a lot of fan bases do that. So. I definitely think 
we were higher than the national consensus was. Like I, I did think that there was a solid chance that they would make the playoffs as like a top six seed, which sounded crazy to me. Like I'm skipping the play in. We're going straight to a top six seed. And I remember I was on uh, like the Knicks fan TV um, podcast and they were a little bit surprised by that. So th they were kind of thinking them more as like a playing team. So I think we were a little bit higher, but no way in hell would I have ever projected, predicted that they would be the number one seed. I mean, the fact that Mark Dagnall might be the all-star coach is like the most absurd thing. The fact that Mark Dagnall, who's like my age, could be co the coach of LeBron James. That's very, that's very bizarre. And so, yeah. yeah, we would have never guessed that. Shouts to Knicks Fan TV. I actually work very closely with them. We have the NBA report together. So shouts to everybody oh, nice. there. Yeah. And this pod actually might be going up on there. So shouts okay. to them. So Chet Holmgren, right? I said he would fill every gap that this team needed. And it was interesting. A friend of mine who works in the NBA, he's actually not currently working in the NBA, wasn't as high on Chet as I was. So I sent him the picture of Chet and his guys at his jersey retirement for high, for his high school team, right? And I sent the picture yeah. and I said, Chet and his supported cast, just to mess with him, right? But, you know, <laughs> obviously we see the camaraderie. How much of that has equaled or allowed this OKC team to be so successful? I think it's huge because especially if you think about the first iteration of the Thunder, by all accounts, like those guys got along, um, you know, KD, Russ, Harden. But at the same time, like their on-court fit was not seamless. Like mm -hmm. they oftentimes succeeded in spite of the fit on court, especially with Russ and KD. And I think the difference now with this trio, maybe their like top end isn't as high as those guys. I mean, we're talking about three MVPs there. So maybe the top end talent isn't quite at that level but they fit so much better on the court. They don't take away anything from each other. And so that has just made it so much easier for them to gel. And I think as a result, we get this impression that like the personalities are so much more compatible as well. But I think that might just be like a, a secondary thing related to how good they look on the court together. They definitely gel better. You mentioned Harden. Now, this Jalen Williams thing is real, right? Like he could be it's headed- Definitely real. He could be headed towards superstardom. Like, it felt like he could be headed towards stardom at one point. Now it feels right. like, to me, he could be headed toward superstardom. superstardom. Is this the James Harden situation 2.0? I don't think so um, for a couple reasons. One, like, they didn't really want to play those guys together back then. Um, one, because they did have concerns about, like, just usage. Like, they knew that James needed the opportunity to like to run his own team which is why they brought him off the bench right and also like those two guys together that would have not been a great defensive backcourt um if you're playing them for long stretches together so like I, I sort of understood it now they were still getting him 30 plus minutes you know as a six man but the difference with j-dub is he seems to be more willing to be a second banana um he was very willing his his first season um like he did not come in and just try to like take over the team. He kind of recognized that at that time, the hierarchy was SGA, then Giddy, then him. And, and in that second half of the season, we were kind of screaming for him, like, please get him more touches, more usage. And so I think his rise has felt a little bit more natural. He's always been a starter. So that's not an issue. Like there, there's no ideas that like, Oh, he has to go to another team to become a starter. And again, coming back to that fit with SGA, like they can play together. Like, you have those yeah. those segments at the beginning of the second and fourth quarter where J-Dub kind of gets to do his thing. He gets to run the show. But then when Shea comes back in, it doesn't feel stilted at all. It doesn't feel like a your turn, my turn type of thing. Like, they play off each other so well. And the fact that Mark 
which this would have never happened in the early days. Like it was always going to be Katie or Russ, but the fact that Mark drew up that final play um, in their recent game against the Spurs or sorry, against the Blazers for J-Dub, like to take that final game winning shot. I mean, that felt like a huge moment too. So like they're giving him that those responsibilities as well. I think the thing with Harden was like, he was, he was just so far beyond that role and because those other guys were so big in terms of their usage, it was just never going to work. The difference is Chet isn't a high usage guy. You know, Chet can play in the flow of the game. He doesn't necessarily need to take over. Now, maybe one day he'll become that type of player. But I think that's the other reason why it works, too, because it's not like he's fighting with two other guys. It's really just him and Shea as like the big usage guys on the team. Is it a concern for you, for OKC fans, that maybe another team could just throw a whole bunch of money at him like they did at Harden? Uh, no, because I mean, the, the deal with the Harden thing was the way the cap was constructed back then, OKC could only offer him like four years, $60 million. If he got traded to another team, they could offer him five years. And that just isn't the case anymore. Like OKC is always going to be able to offer him more years, more money, okay. as long as he's with the team. So at least for his next contract, like his rookie extension, which mm -hmm. I have to assume is going to be a max rookie extension if he keeps playing like this. That is going to lock him in for, you know, another half decade here. And then at the end of that, we'll see where it is. But again, that's, you know, five years down the road. I mean, Shea's going to come up for another contract before then, so we'll see what happens there. But I think for us, we're mostly just thinking about, like, these next three to four years, it feels like we're pretty locked into this core, and let's see what they can do. What allowed SGA go from, like, all NBA level to MVP level? I feel a lot of it is the defense, because in those down years – when he was still great, he was still a great player. His defensive effort night to night just wasn't really there. And it was the sort of thing that fans were talking about it as if like, okay, when this team gets good, is he going to be able to turn this on or is he going to be a liability? Because he did have some nights where he just looked like, not that he would become someone that would get targeted, but just like wasn't going to be a strength of your defense, certainly. And the way he turned that on starting last year and then into this year where now it's, you know, like he's leading the league in steals. Um, he he helps this team so much get out into transition where they are so much so good now. And part of that is Chet, too. He's a great transition player. So I think that was like the big thing. Offensively, it kind of felt like everything was already in place for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think Thunder fans, if, if we're if we wanted one more thing, it would be could you shoot a couple more threes? <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. you look across this roster Yes, they're, I think they're probably still number one or number two in three-point percentage, but they're not like a high-volume three-point shooting team. And when I look at a team like the Clippers, I'm so terrified of them in the playoffs because they have so many good three-point shooters, and it's all concentrated in their main guys who are going to be playing a ton of minutes in the playoffs. You know, like PG, Kawhi, Harden, all those guys are high-volume. Norm Powell is high-volume. So a against a team like that, yeah, we might shoot well, but are we going to be able to keep up? with the Clippers. So I do wish somebody needs to start shooting more threes, whether it's Shea or, or J-Dub has picked it up a little bit, but still like we need like a high volume shooter. Cause right now it's basically Isaiah Joe. Um, yeah, and so yeah. it'd be nice to have another guy like that. Yeah. It's interesting. At some point you're playing the math game. Like you have to shoot enough of them. Right. But it is interesting when it comes to SGA, I feel like his game is tailor made for the playoffs because in end of shot clock situations, end of game situations, he could get in the mid range and score. And I believe like this is the year when he either he's going to like, OKC's okay, so going to take out like a Lakers 
or Warriors. Hopefully those teams make it like a Suns. And that's when SGA becomes like a household name. Like our grandmas will know who SGA is. After right. That. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would love for them to get to a second round series just because all of those matchups, assuming like the top four moved on, which it's not sure because the West is crazy, but all of those matchups are so interesting to me, like OKC Denver, OKC Clippers or OKC Minnesota, which the Minnesota one in particular is super interesting because that was the team OKC played in the play-in last year, and they just got stomped. Like, they got completely outclassed. And in the summer, all Thunder fans were talking about is, like, how do we match up with Minnesota? Like, we weren't even really worrying about Denver because it's like, we're probably not going to beat Denver. It's like, how could we match up with Minnesota? Because we have to be able to match up with this team who we feel like is around our tier. And then coming into this year, the addition of Chet and Kenrich Williams, who was not who did not play in that playing game, has kind of flipped that matchup on its head. And so those matchups have been so, so interesting, like kind of the chess match in them. And they're playing again on Monday. So that'll be their fourth and final matchup. But I was just on Dane Moore, uh, his his podcast, and we're both just kind of hoping that that becomes like a second round series because the matchup is so interesting because they have the obvious advantage of size. But then OKC has been incredible at turning them over and getting out in transition, which has just wrecked everything for Minnesota. How big of a concern is it for you, the interior physicality that OKC might lack? Like we saw it against the Lakers, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago when you're going against yeah. like a AD LeBron and you even mentioned Minnesota now. It's tough for them in those situations, right? Yeah, in certain, in certain matchups, like with Minnesota – it doesn't bother me as much when Minnesota's on offense because you don't feel like Gobert, mm. even though he has had some, he's had a really good game against the Thunder this year, but you don't feel like he's the guy who's just going to go down the post, punish you over and over and over again. You do feel their size though on defense where they just like <laughs> can just destroy OKC on the glass. LA, the Lakers, they're the team that of the quote unquote bad teams or like, like the mediocre teams right now, they're the team that scares me because I do feel like I feel their size on offense and on defense with AD. I mean, we just don't have, I mean, Chet tries yeah. his best, but like, it's really hard for us to match up with someone like AD. So yeah. And that's <laughs> like thinking ahead to the trade deadline. That's Ooh. where I start to like focus in because there was a game not too long ago where Chet got two early fouls and it was the first time it really happened. And I thought like, man, what, what are they going to do if they get to the playoffs Chet gets two early fouls against a team like Minnesota or LA. Normally they would throw in Kenrich Williams at the five, but like, do you really want to do that against a super huge team? And then we're going to Jay will who I like, but like if Jay wills paying, playing significant minutes in the playoffs, I'm probably going to be a little worried. So if we could get someone in that mold as a backup center who can bring some size, but still play within the flow of this offense, that that would be like the perfect ideal piece for me. Yeah. I mean, in fairness to Chet, like, Bam struggled against LeBron and AD, right? In the oh, bubble. totally. Yeah. Like, so, and Bam is one of the better defensive players in the league. So it's like, in it, it, fairness to Chet, but it's like, I think you do need some more interior presence. You mentioned trade deadline. It feels like to me that you want more of an incremental move than a splashy move. I mean, if there was a splashy move to be made, uh, I, I would certainly be open to it. I just think realistically, um, knowing what Presti has said about this team, wanting to see how they do in the playoffs together before making any like significant moves. I feel like the most likely scenario, if they do something is going to be more like small to medium. Like we've talked about Kelly Olynyk, if we could get him because he's unexpiring. Um, we've talked about some of the Nets guys like Royce O'Neal or Dorian Finney Smith, like just trying to bring in another big wing. Those are the type of names that we feel like are realistic. 
I mean, maybe Presti will surprise us. It always cracks me up when everyone acts like Presti isn't going to do anything when he's made like the most trades, you know, in NBA history over this recent stretch. Right, right, right. So it's not like he's, I don't think he's going to pass up on a deal just because he has to stick to this belief that like, I just want to see them do it in the playoffs. Like if something came up and it made sense for the team, I do think he would pounce, but it would have to be like the perfect scenario to bring in a big piece. Yeah, if you look at basketball decision makers' tendencies, it would feel like OKC and the Sixers would make a move before this tread deadline, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I I would definitely understand both of those, and especially now, like you're in the one seed. Like at this point, it's for me, it's as much about just getting reinforcements because last year, what happened was Kenrich Williams got hurt around the All Star break, and the team completely changed. Now they didn't have Chet at that point, obviously, but. Kenrich was so important to what they wanted to do because they love playing him as a small ball five. And if you go on cleaning the glass, like those lineups over last year and this year have just destroyed teams, like talking like plus 18 net rating when Kenrich is playing at the five. So that completely changed things. And so I'm just thinking like, okay, what what if that happened again? Like, what if we did suffer another injury? Do we really have like the backups that we need to be able to keep the momentum going into the playoffs? Or would it just be like a, oh, that's a bummer. Better luck next year. We'll probably be an underdog in the first round, you know? It feels like Josh Giddy would be the trade piece, right? Just for like his redundancy, his skill set with SGA. You know, I mean, J-Dub, definitely untouchable. Obviously, SGA, right. obviously Chet. Um, yeah. Would you consider Lou Dort untouchable? Uh, No, he's definitely not untouchable, though I will say like he makes so much more sense this year than he did any of the previous years because his usage i mean i I wrote it down yesterday his usage like a couple years ago was like 22 or 23 Mm -hmm. it's now down to 15 yeah like everything makes way more sense with lou now the type the type of threes he's getting he's cut way down on his above the break threes while maintaining his corner three rate and he's always been a good corner three shooter he's always been over 40 percent so his percentages have finally started to come up i mean he's shooting amazing from three this year he, he, you still see moments, and you saw this in the most recent game against the Timberwolves, where he has these like crazy drives where he's taking on Carl Anthony Towns, and it doesn't look like it's going to work out. And it, he made it work in that game. So you still see some of that recklessness on offense. But I just think he's in such a more appropriate role for him now that I'm not as like antsy to get him off the team. Yeah, it feels like he's not the exact player that – Bruce Brown is by any means, but I do feel like he's never going to get his just due until OKC wins the championship. That's probably true. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, like, listen, his calling card's always going to be defense. And we saw even his rookie year, like the way he guarded Harden in that first round series in the bubble, like that that's his calling. That's why he gets paid. And so I think if they have some matchups like that, for instance, against an Anthony Edwards, who only took 10 shots in that most recent game, I, I think that's how he's going to build on his notoriety. There were Thunder fans like a few years ago. There was like, can he be more? Like, is his offensive ceiling more? But I think he's finally like in the correct role for Lou Dort. Also, you have to honor him as a shooter, which is really important. Uh, you do. The question is, will teams? Because, I mean, if, if you look at this <laughs> team, at least at the starting lineup, like the the play right now with OKC is, and, and this is why I think we'll have another playoffs. You put your center on Giddy. And you keep yeah. your big man around the rim because you don't trust Giddy. The second thing you would say is let Lou Dort do whatever he wants because we would much rather have Lou Dort taking shots or driving to the rim than SGA Dort or Chet doing anything. So I still think teams are going to lay off of him. And I just hope that this shooting run he's on can keep continues and that it's based more about like the shots he's taking, his shot diet, 
rather than just this just being a really good streak from him. So from what I'm gathering, it would feel like a Josh Giddy package for Lori marketing would solve those problems, right? Uh, I mean, I would be open to it. One of the reasons I like marketing, and I, I don't think there's any chance they will get him, but of the guys, I looked this up not too long ago, like of the guys who are 20 point scorers, he had the lowest usage. Now it was still a high usage, but he's one of those guys who I do think could theoretically fit without taking the ball away too much. Now you're going to have to change some things like he is going to take more shots, but Giddy's taking a decent number of shots over the course of this season. So that I think would be super interesting. I just don't think it's going to happen. And it's also really hard for me to figure out uh, the trade value for Giddy. Like, I just don't know if teams are falling over themselves to trade for him in the way they might have, like at the end of last year, right? when when he did really have a nice second half run, he's, like his whole season has been really strange because well, obviously there's been like the off the court issues, but when he was playing at his absolute worst, the team was still good. Now he's play. He started to play a lot better and the team has gone to way new heights, but there's still this part of me that wonders like, what do you do in the playoffs? Like if he starts off Oh, for two from three, he shot Oh, for four against Timberwolves in the most recent game. Does Mark pull him? Because it's not just that, putting Gobert on Giddy, let's Gobert kind of hang out around the rim. You yeah. also now are putting a big wing on Chet, and that kind of takes away some of the uniqueness of Chet. Like one of the things that makes Chet so interesting on the court is that when you match up him uh, with a center, he can pull that center away the rim with his three-point shooting. He can also attack closeouts really well. Yeah. When you put a big wing on him, it's not like he's going down to the post, calling for the ball, and going to do all these post moves on him. Like that's just right. not his game right now. So I really do think that could potentially screw things up in a big way come playoff time. And the question is, like, how quick is Dagnalt's trigger going to be in, yeah. in terms of pulling Giddy off the court? It felt like from the beginning of time, there was always some sort of redundancy when it came to SGA and Josh Giddy. Not that they're the same player, but they don't really fit well because they don't really get into their spot up shooting bag. Like, does that feel like the case to you then? And do you feel like that's an issue even to this day? Yeah, I mean, the. The craziest like little little micro moment in recent Thunder history was two seasons ago. It was right before Shea got hurt for the rest of the season. And they played a game together. And it was the first game where OKC basically decided, hey, we're going to let Giddy run the show. We're going to play Shea primarily as an off-ball player. And they both had great games. I think they both scored like Shea scored 30 points. Giddy was over 20 points. But in the post-game press conference, they asked Shea about it. And he basically said, like, as nicely as possible, like, this isn't plan A. Like, this this was, this was is not the plan for my career. And you, you saw it for the first time that, okay, maybe this won't work. Because we were kind of thinking about Shea as maybe he could be, like, a really good off-ball player. Because obviously, like, that's probably not going to be Giddy's game, like, unless he becomes a good shooter all of a sudden. And then it's funny to look back at how we were talking about that now to now where it's like, obviously you want the ball in Shea's hand. Like, why would you want to put the ball in Giddy's hand? Yes, he's a great passer, but Shea and J-Dub now bring so much more um, just like a dynamic nature to the court. And so, yeah, you do get to the point where it's like, okay, well, in that case, if we're taking the ball out of Giddy's hands, then what is he really doing on the court for you? He's a really good rebounder, and that's the big thing I think that a lot of fans miss is that if you take Giddy off of that starting lineup, all of a sudden their terrible rebounding becomes even mm. worse because he's the best rebounder on the team. Like right now, they are the they're the third worst in offensive rebound percentage, and they're second worst in defensive rebounding percentage. If you take Giddy off of that, 
And now you just have like a bunch of like J-Dub's a really below average rebounder. Chet for a center is an amazing rebounder. Um, Shea is actually a pretty good rebounder, but Dort's not a great rebounder. Now you're now you're struggling even more on the board. So it becomes this very delicate balance in terms of if you're replacing him, it's got to be someone who's bringing you something on the boards. You can't just replace him with Kaysen Wallace or Isaiah Joe and expect everything to work out, even though those guys do bring a lot of things that Giddy don't, that Giddy doesn't in terms of three-point shooting and defense. So it is a very delicate balance trying to figure out what comes next after Giddy. So I'm going to, you're a very experienced podcast. So I'm going to let you finish us off with the last topic. You got two options, a Poku update mm. or your biggest takeaways oh. from the, <laughs> or your biggest takeaways from the Webby Chet matchup. <laughs> well, uh, well, I can do the Poku update in like 10 seconds. All uh, right. So let's do both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Poku update is that um, <clears throat> the train has uh, uh, come to the end of the line oh, and uh, he's mostly not dressing. And he will probably be on another team at the trade deadline, not necessarily because he's playing for them, but I just think that it makes the most sense. I mean, he's coming up for an extension this summer. They don't want to have to keep him on the books going into next year when he's clearly not playing. They could use that roster spot for something else. So I think it's sayonara for Poku, which is very for, sad. For, for the NBA or for OKC? I'm, I hope just for their OKC. I, okay. I, I hope that he gets another shot because legitimately last year he had started to figure some things out and – Thunder yeah. fans were actually excited about the idea of seeing Chet and Poku as like a front court pairing. It has not happened. Um, in terms of the Chet and Wemby matchup, can I, I mean, say one thing? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. My, this is my biggest takeaway from the Chet and Wemby matchup. You ever see those things outside of the car dealership that are like, yeah, the the, the waving inflatable? Yeah, it just felt know? like two. It felt like two of those guys playing basketball. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so <laughs> cool that it does seem to be. It's not just a made-up rival rivalry. Like those yeah. two guys do seem to dislike each other, or at least like respect each other enough to want to go at each other. Mm -hmm. And I think what's cool about it is it's not just this thing that was made out of thin air. Like these guys played together previously, like on uh, like on the World Circuit with with like USA versus France. Um, they obviously get compared together because they look somewhat similar in terms of their body frames. Um, but I just love that there's this kind of matchup because we don't really have that even with someone like Shea. I mean, you brought up Anthony Edwards, but that doesn't even feel like as big of a rivalry as Chet versus Wemby. And, you know, long term, like Wemby is I, I think Wemby's like generational. Yeah, that's I, right. I, yeah. yeah. I, and so I don't it doesn't bother me that like Wemby is starting to. I think actually he's the favorite now for rookie of the year after Chet was for a really long time. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't really bother me because the role Chet is playing on this team is so much different than the role Wemby is needing to play. Wemby needs to be the face of that franchise. He needs to be their SGA, you know, and we're asking Chet really to be like the third guy a lot of nights. Right. So I think it's really fun, but I don't, I, it, it doesn't like upset me when people are like, oh, Wemby's obviously going to be the greater player. Like, yeah, he, he probably will be, but we're so happy to have Chet because as you mentioned, like he just filled in every checkbox that had been left unchecked previously. Couldn't have said it better. Alex, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you? Social media, everywhere else? Uh, yeah, I'm still on Twitter at Al Baby Cakes. And then if you want to listen to some Thunder content, Wednesdays on Down to Dunk and then Fridays on the Athletic NBA show with uh, Slam and Jam. Great stuff, Alex. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. All right. Thanks so much, Combo. There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court is in the books big shouts to alex big shouts to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe and big shouts to our sponsor prize picks 
Go to PrizePix and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. That's right. You heard it right. Go to PrizePix and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. It's also a great way to support Combo's Court. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy. And shouts to the NBA Report YouTube channel. You can now watch full Combo's Court episodes on the NBA Report. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Be on the lookout for episode 553 Combo out.